Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. We've got another episode of PWE and me coming to you today. And my guest is someone who I have known for many years, um, although I haven't seen you a lot lately, Bruce. Uh, but I'm so happy to have Bruce Mansion on the podcast today. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about this. Now, I, you know, our paths first crossed, man, was it like, it was 15, 20 years ago, probably yes, now. Yes. I'm feeling pretty young when I say that. Um, yep. And and Bruce came into my world uh, through some work around facilitation training and how to have a good presence at the front of the room. And, and so when... Uh, I was looking at, at podcast guests. Um, I've been so influenced by what you taught so many years ago, Bruce. And so I thought Thank it you. would be great to have you on the show. And why don't why don't we give you some space now to share uh, with the listeners um, your thing? What do you do and how can people find you? And, and that will lead us into some great conversation. But let's hear a little bit about you, Bruce. All right. Well, I started my company 34 years ago. And at that time, it was called Universal Training Concepts, and we specialized in three, three specific umbrellas. One umbrella was leadership, one umbrella was teamwork, and one umbrella was selling skills. And under those umbrellas, there were different kinds of things that we offered under the selling umbrella was facilitation skills using adult learning principles, and that's how you and I met when right. I was doing work at GlaxoSmithKline for you. Yep. That went on for quite a bit of time. But what became clear to me was that as we moved from the kind of workplace where people pretty much show up, do their job and go home to a work environment where not only are you now expected to do your work with excellence, but you're also now expected to get along with people excellently. Mm. Yes. I started to see that organizations were asking individuals who had known each other for years to now not only get along with each other, but to work well with each other in what became termed these cross-functional teams. It became a buzzword. Right. So that the idea being you could be in on a you could be assigned to a given team, but you were expected to work on different teams. The thing that happened, though, Carolyn, is nobody explained or trained to the model. There was this expectation that you just go to work and whoever you wind up working with, you not only get along with them, you work in a way where you tap into each other's strengths and you do it well. The problem was that people were expecting different behavior but they were asking people to execute that behavior 
in a culture that rewarded the show up and do your job. Oh, that is, I mean, let's just stop there for a second, because you said so much in those few minutes, um, like a minute and a half there. There was a real shift in the workplace Mm -hmm. then, right? Like where we went from... um, I guess, you know, more free time, like technology wasn't driving the sense of efficiency or productivity. So, you know, it was easier. Is it fair to say, Bruce, it was easier to show up and be present with people and work well together because we were operating at a bit of a, I don't want to say slower. It's not like we were being slow, but it was a slower pace. And when, when, when did you see this shift? Like, could we maybe put a time box around that? Because, you know, you've been in this business for a long time. When did you see that shift happen? I can tell you distinctly when I saw the beginning of that shift, it was in 1988. And 1988. 1988. I thought it was going to be later than that. No, 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 no. That, here's, what, here's what started to happen. Organizations discovered this new thing called diversity. Mm. So that's what began the process of looking at individual talent that people had, which was unique, that they could bring to the workplace. Captured around this overall overarching term diversity, they started then to see if we get people working together, we can achieve more. So team, together, everyone achieves more. Organizations start to put a lot of money and effort into the process. And as you have have accurately identified, then the pace was such that people could actually practice these new skills, practice this cross-functional stuff, practice working together. And that took us on into the early 90s where self-directed teams became the buzzword. Now that you had, even if it wasn't in reality, it was by philosophy, this idea of diversity and valuing differences, the idea was now to put people together and say, lead yourselves. Well, that crashed and burned in 1996. The self-directed work team is a myth, and it never should have been in the first place because you do need leadership not only in behavior, but recognize leaders who can break through the log jam that happens when you sometimes get a group of people together, particularly strong personalities. So, hmm. so okay, so 1996, 1996, then it shifted. Yes. Okay. Then you add technology to this thing and mm-hmm. prices keep going up while wages don't necessarily keep track, but organizations are spending more and more time and energy on speed and efficiency. And therefore, teamwork now has to keep pace. This then caused an exposure to me of the difference between saying you want X and having a culture that rewards people for delivering X. Right, right. And when when did that really show up for you, Bruce, that difference? We're now... 2003 right. was when that that when the realization was that we've got a problem yeah. and that's how it shows up it shows up as a problem so one of the things i have discovered and just wrote an article about it if you work on leadership and you don't work on culture you will fail 
If you work on culture and don't work on leadership, you will fail. They are two sides of the same coin and both must be dealt with. Otherwise, you will see recidivism all over the place. You got it. You got it. So and then, so I'm I'm curious to hear then how your business shifted because you said mm-hmm. you know originally when we're you were UTC and you had those three arms and I yes. know now um, you know your 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 new organization focuses a little bit differently um, and more yes. on, more on leadership so let's talk a little bit more yes. about that where, where you're at yes now. one of the things I discovered through <clears throat> excuse me through an unfortunate accident was the power of nonverbal communication. Hmm. Human beings, all communication that human beings engage in, 90% of that communication is nonverbal. However, we spend 90% of our time on the 10% that's verbal. Right. So I started paying attention and I developed a process to help leaders become better at accurately reading and accurately operating on not only the verbal communication, but the nonverbal communication. And that's what led me to say, I need to focus most of my attention now on leadership. Right. And I changed the name of the company to Trinity Advanced Leadership. And we use the, the philosophy that The three key parts of building leadership skill are the heart, the head, and the hand. Is that where the idea of Trinity comes together? Correct. Yeah. Yes. The logo is a Trinity knot and it's, it's first the heart and that's, that's the will. That's where if you get somebody improved skill who does not have the will or the desire to be in that position or use that skill, you are failing. You're wasting your time and energy. Now, I don't want people to think that what I'm saying is people who are really good at leadership want to be leaders. That's not what I'm saying. I know just as many people who have no desire to be a leader, but they are behaving like leaders already. Mm. But the idea is true change, lasting change, means we must first reach people in their core being, in their heart. Right. I, I, Carolyn, I, I read the book, The Founding Fathers on Leadership by Donald T. Phillips, and there was, there was a section in there that blew me away. What was it? I haven't read that book. The, it was about the Revolutionary War here in the United States. Okay. Now, General George Washington would send his men out. And there were times they were so under-resourced that they had no bullets to fight. So they would throw down their guns and run home. Washington, this is researched and found to be true. Washington, whenever he would see that behavior, would ride past those men on his horse into the gunfire. And research showed that there were times that there were bullet holes in his coat as it flailed behind him, but he himself was not hit. But while he was riding past those men, he would yell out, the battle is this way. The battle is this way. The battle is this way. And all of those men would turn around and go fight without bullets. But here's the key. The, the, The magic isn't that they turned around. The magic is that they chose 
of their own free will and volition to turn around and follow him into the gunfire. And the British op, uh, fought by rules of war. Rules of war said, if you are out of ammunition, throw your, put your arms down, put your hands up and surrender. But they were looking at drastically unpredictable behavior and didn't know what to do when unarmed colonists are running at them. Mm, wow. So I believe this, this is the phrase I have coined from what I read in that book. I do not judge a leader by how many people follow them. I judge a leader by how many people choose to follow them because that leader has reached their heart. And that's the first part of Trinity. So let's stop there for a second, because I um, I think a lot of leaders and people in in companies and maybe corporations, bigger companies, they lose their heart. They have it, but yes. it, it, they lose it. Um, and and yes. and something that I've said a lot to people is, I actually think my head was trying to disguise um, my heart. Um, so it was, yes. it was pulling this little, like, you know, um, uh, Jekyll and Hyde thing on me where I thought mm -hmm. I was actually showing my heart and, and, you know, here I am four years later, three years later out of my big corporate world. And I was like, oh my God, my heart had totally been lost. So yes. how does that happen? And, and how, like, how do we get it back? How do we help all these great people out there find their heart again? It, it gets lost through the process of policy, I'm sorry, politics and expediency. Yeah. There comes a point at which we are so worn down, Carolyn, not by the people, but by the culture. Yeah. Because the culture rewards me for keeping my mouth shut when I should speak up. How does it reward me? Because nothing bad happens to me when I keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Even though everything in me is screaming, no, we shouldn't do this. So, and I think one little difference there um, that I'm seeing is it might not because, you know, people and their behaviors are your culture. It's the, it's yes. the systems, the it's systems, the systems yes. that reward yes. us. And so, yes. you know, we don't, I mean, it's been several years since I've saw um, people being rewarded for really great leadership. Yes. Um, and, and the, you know, the shift over the past five, six years on performance management, in my mind, has been long, long overdue. Yes. At least, yes, you know, yes. people aren't using boxes the same way and we're not using ratings the same way, which is much yes. more humanistic. So my yes. hope is that that will help some of the heart come out. What else? Is there anything else like in your experience with all the training and, and workshops and leadership um, yes. you've, you've done, leadership training you've done with people? What else can help tap into that heart and find it again? Here's what, here's the primary tool I use, teaching people how to read the nonverbal behavior mm. to ensure that it matches up with the verbal. And when it doesn't, we must use a tool that I refer to as strategic questioning. Okay. And the strategic questioning, the reason it's strategic is it has this strategy. You are headed to a predetermined destination. You're trying to find out why do the words in the pictures not match up? So what I have to do is I have to first resist the urge to play the conversation out ahead of time in my head mm. 
because I'm developing a mental script. The right. problem is the other person doesn't have my script. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I don't know what my follow-up question is going to be until I hear the answer to the current question. Right. But here's my strategy. When I ask the first question, no matter how they answer it, my next question must go deeper and I must ask questions that give me emotional responses, emotional words. For example, if I were to say, as I'm looking at you, I hear what you're saying, but your eyes are saying something else to me. So tell me exactly what's going on in your mind right now. And if the person says, well, in my mind, I'm thinking this, then I will say, well, tell me how you feel about that. Mm, okay. Now I pause, Carolyn. If yep. they start that beginning of the next answer with, well, I think that means they're automatically not answering my question. Right. Because so they're going say, to their head, right? They're I going think. back to head. Right. I go, great. Thank you for telling me what you think. Now tell me how you feel. Mm. And I'm going to keep digging into those emotion, the emotional context until I get to the point where they go, well, here's the reason. Because they right. will tell me. Yep. And by the way, the single best book I've ever re read on this topic that I'm talking about right now is called Crucial Conversations. Yep. And the author is Carrie Patterson. Now, here's a secret, though. When you're engaging in strategic questioning, resist the urge to use the word why. Mm, say more about that. Why? Why, when, Bruce? When, I'm just going to use yeah. the word. <laughs> Whenever we use the word why, when we're digging into emotion, think back as we were kids and as even with our, in our adult work life, the word why in the sentence implies that there is a right answer that the mm. asker is looking for. And it triggers my defense mechanism to just try to figure out what's the answer I need to give you so you'll stop asking me. Right. So, okay, let's let's do it. Let's get an example of that. So, All right. Um, what kind of question would a manager, like when you think of, of a manager who is going to, for the first time, try and understand the feelings of somebody else, because let's mm -hmm. face it, many of us have been trained to not show emotion at work. Um, and we need to, we're, we're human beings. So we need to accept that we have emotions. And if we don't yes. address the emotions, we spend a lot of time dealing with the bad behavior. So yeah. what what's an easy way for somebody who's not necessarily comfortable with asking about emotion, what's a, an initial question or a way that they could start doing this? Maybe try it out on me. Yes. Let's say the scenario is a deadline was missed on something okay. critically important to me, the manager. Okay. And I need to find out the reason for that. Okay. The typical way is to go is say, Carolyn, why didn't I get that? Now, right away, it triggers for you Right, just struggle through all of these options and come up with the one that I think is going to make you go away. Yeah, I'm going to get defensive. Yes, right. Yeah. Right. Rather, I say something like, hey, the deadline came and passed. Uh, tell me what was going on for you that we missed the deadline. Right. You see, right. I just replaced it with what? Yeah. Yeah. Big difference. Like yes. being on the other end. Yeah. Very yes. big difference. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that example. That really, sure. that really helped. Yeah. 
So, so that's an example of getting, like getting at the heart is getting digging the heart. into yes. the feelings and, yes. and, and tapping into that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So then we move from the heart to the head and in the head part, once I can help people get clear on their motivations for things, then I can say, now let's figure out a plan to get us to what we need to have. Okay. So then I move into mental execution, mental planning on the execution once we have the proper motivation. Okay. And, then, and where are people good? Like, does it, do people naturally go there because it's, it seems very task focused? Yes. In fact, work interest. This is interesting. Work focuses so much on task that we don't even realize if I can get to the heart and identify that individual's primary motivation they will kill for me. They will do things for me. And I don't have to run around behind them checking and I don't have to keep giving them answers. Yeah. I don't even have to help them figure it out. They will be coming to me with so much stuff that they figured out that I'll say, great, uh, let's, let's shave this down and shave this down. It is much easier to pull back on reins than it is to say, giddy up. Right, right. So even when we move to the head, I only want to operate in the head based on what's already been exposed in the heart. Okay. I want to use the head to magnify that motivation that they already have. I don't remember mm. who said it, but there's a, a saying that goes, all people, oh, I know who said it. Uh, the people who created DISC, it's, it's now widely incorporated in the US. Yep. It, it, it's, it's seven key facts about motivation. And number one is, all people are motivated for their reasons, not yours. Right, right. Yeah, we can forget that often, can't we? That's yes. So when yeah. I can tap into that other person's motivation, and then we figure out, now in the head, how to use that motivation to deliver the performance standards I need, I can then step back and we get to the hand, and the hand is when they go off and do. Right. So those are the three pillars of our leadership approach now. So quick question. Something that comes to mind is um, how do you know you're working on the right problem? Does that fall under the head or the hand or the heart? That falls under all three, actually. And the okay. way you know is you. I don't necessarily need to evaluate the behavior. I don't necessarily need to always evaluate how the person's delivering, but I must evaluate results. I must. Okay. I must be first clear on what results I need. And what I tend to do is I tend to say to people, I need you to think outside the box, but I need you to think outside your box, not outside of the box. Hmm. The box is the the organizational boundaries that say you will not operate outside of these within the organizational box you have the freedom to outside uh, to operate outside of your box so i learned through dealing with my youngest daughter and her taking out the garbage that what i need to be focusing on is the result if the end result is the garbage is out why do i care if she takes 10, 15 minutes to do it, it's her time. 
<laughs> That's true. As long as her time is not eating into something else or is replacing something else that's important, I have to, as a leader, I have to start looking at the results. I must make to clear to people, here are the results I want, and here are the boundaries in which you can operate. Now go deliver it for me. Yeah. Do you know what comes up for me when you say that, Bruce, is um, I think I see so many leaders who their intention is so good, mm -hmm. and they are getting... Um, caught up in the busyness yes, yes, of things yes. and the urgency and not taking or not having the skills to step back and understand the problem they're trying to solve yes. clearly. And what what is the real deadline? Like, what? why do we need to yes, have that? Yes. And, and that's another piece to this whole leadership thing too, is, you know, knowing yourself and having that ability to reflect on your own strengths and where some of your foibles might be yes, as well. Yes. And also to learn how to surround yourself with people who are really good at those things at which you are not. Right. Yeah. So, so Bruce, when you do this work and, and you talk about the Trinity, um, what are, what are some, uh, some early wins? I, I hate using that word all the time, but like, <laughs> you know, if somebody's going to learn a new skill, um, how do you set them up for success so that it doesn't scare them off and they can, they can quickly adapt and learn yes. and grow from it? I start by using a concept that says quick wins. So okay. the first thing I look at is when I'm asked to work with an individual, with an organization, what I want to know first is, tell me all the things you're doing right. Hmm. And the reason for that is, telling if you go in identifying what people are doing wrong, you're starting out on a negative. I know. And, that's, and we go there too naturally. Yes. We need to pump ourselves up. Yes. Yeah. So what are we doing right? Okay. Out of all the things we're doing right, what one of those things can I use to help this person or this individual get to a result that they want? that will give the biggest return on investment in the shortest period of time with the highest degree of probability for success. It might not be the most important thing on the list, but we'll get to the most important thing. I want to establish a quick win as quickly right. as possible. So we set a mindset of success. Right. And what are some things you typically hear? Um, that people are good at? Um, they Classic one is, oh, our customers love us. Yeah. And, that, okay. then I, and so where do you go with that? Here's what I, I say. Great. How many of your customers love you? I hear, usually hear all of them. I go, great. How many customers do you have? So let me pick a number out of here. We have 3,000 customers. And I will say, how many of those <laughs> did you talk to? And they told you they love you. Uh, well... <laughs> Uh, okay. You can't be good at that thing. You just think you're good at it. What else you got? Right. Right. Now you will find some people who will say, um, I have one client who they, who are outstanding at building their business in an environment where on paper, they should not be successful at all in the, really? in the town that they are in and the service that they offer. That place is saturated 
with organizations that do the exact same thing. The materials are at parity. It's not that they have better um, people than anybody else, but what they've done is they have implemented something I recommended to them called the team leader system. Each department has a specific team leader and the team leaders understand this concept as identified by Patrick Lencioni in the book, The Advantage. The leaders are not on the teams that they lead. They are mm. not members of the teams that they lead. They are members of the leadership team. And what I helped them to do was ensure that the leadership team was seen as an entity and people had to respect the leadership team. People had to have a relationship with the leadership team as well as their individual leader. And the other principle is every leader, whenever they open their mouth, they had better be sure that what they're about to say, every other leader already knows and would agree with. And so how did that translate then to a better business? Like make that, let's make that connection a little bit more explicit. So they had leaders yes. that weren't on the team. Yes. And what was the, what was the result then? Why did was that the result. drive their business? The result was everybody on that team understood that whatever they heard from their individual leader was what every other leader would say. And it developed a higher level of trust for mm. their leaders because I have discovered this. When a leadership team is aligned, people give them their trust and they follow them into the gunfire. In fact, right. here's a fact, Carolyn. People will not follow an excellent leadership team, which isn't aligned. They will follow a mediocre leadership team that is aligned. Now, I would say an excellent leadership team that isn't aligned isn't actually excellent. No, I'm talking about when you look at them, right, not as a team, but these are excellent individuals on the team. Oh, I got you. Yes. I got you. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Yes. Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's like uh, even a sports analogy, Correct. right? You can right. have all great players, right. yeah, but yes. if they don't they don't come together. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yes. so that's, um, was it hard for that company to break out of that habit and have like a separate leadership team? It took two you know, years. That's, yeah, that's letting go of a lot of control. Yeah. That's hard for people to do, isn't it? Yes. But the, the answer to your question, the result was, and the leader of that team tells other people that when they, when they call him for references, there was an increase in their bottom line of over 40% that they can only attribute to the things that we did. Wow. Right. Well, you know what? You come back to trust, right? Yes. That if, if we come back to Patrick Lencioni, right? That's the foundation. Yes. Yes. And a lot of people use that word, throw that around, but it sounds like you really help them create um, a system. I'll come back to Correct. that. A system yes. Yes. that allowed that trust to really flourish. Yes. And once the proper system is created, it becomes the culture. And you want a culture that rewards the new behavior you're trying to build. Right. Right. How did they evaluate each other? Like, how did they keep um, track of performance and monitor performance? 360 evaluations. Hmm. It automated. 
because there are a bunch of tools that you can use. We chose the one that best met their needs and yep. that system. And then my other recommendation to them was you should not be doing performance reviews at the same time every year on everybody. Use anniversary mm. dates. Otherwise, people get feedback fatigue. That's true. Yeah. And if it's automated, then it doesn't become a big laborious Correct. pull out the papers yes. and you're trying again yes. to be. Huh. That's that's interesting because uh, I was just with a client recently and they were shifting away from the anniversary date to having it all done at the same year yeah. or at the same time each year. Research shows you're going to see a precipitous drop in the quality of the input. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. Uh, well, it's taking me back to the days when I got 15 yes, requests. Can yes, I have feedback? Yes, can yes, I have feedback? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's that's uh, that's fantastic. Where, where, Bruce, where do you see things going in the next five to 10 years? Oh, my God. When it comes to leadership? I know. That's, was that a tough question no, for you? No, 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 not at all. I, I think when, oh. we, when we look back now at the way things were, we would not back then have been able to identify what it would be like today. But I um, one of the trends that we see being reported is more and more people want to work from home. Now, obviously, there are some specific jobs that can't be done that way, but we're going to right. see that trend grow even more. The biggest change that we're challenged as individuals to 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 deal with is that we are operating business today without country boundaries. It's being done globally. There are people who are on teams who are never seated in the same room, for example. Right. And all that says is that communication processes are becoming so sophisticated that if organizations are in businesses that require them to be in the same place, they at least ought to be using those communication processes to continue to touch, that's the new word now, touch their customer in personal ways, not just by email, not just by, by social media, but really touch, reaching out, different than a phone call now. It might be a video chat. It might be a text. It might be uh, kinds of things that people say, hey, contact me this way. But because of technology causing so much parity in so many industries, the single biggest competitive advantage is not just customer service, but superior customer service. And that's something that people have to work at. They have to be taught. Those organizations that are doing extremely well, even in down economies, are doing so because they have built such a loyal customer base by by being superior in their service. An example would be Starbucks. Here's what the CEO of Starbucks says. We are not a coffee company. We right. are a people company that happens to sell coffee. That's the mindset that organizations need to, to have and develop as we go in farther into the future. And and so, you know, having this globalization, having the remote, the remote situation, how does that how is that going to impact leadership? So where do you see leadership having to um the skills that really need to be leveraged to meet all of those realities that you just talked about. The biggest one is being accurate and being good at reading 
nonverbal behavior and responding appropriately. Even if it's on a, a, a cell phone call, nonverbal behavior is voice tone, not, vo- not words, but tone, inflection, rate of speech, pauses. I've got to read those things. Got to be good at it too. Yeah, it's it's just another great reminder that yes, there might be a lot of AI coming into our world and technology, but at the core of our existence is this need to connect Correct. and understand each other outside of the words we Correct. use. Yeah, and that's never going to go never. away. Never. You know, you think no. back uh, when the internet came out, everybody suspected that there would be no more need for newspapers, no more need for libraries. And guess what? The libraries are still there and they're flourishing because at the library, there are people. Yep. Yep. Or remember when it was uh, the whole online learning. Yes, yes, yes. We're not going to need online or we're not going to need in-person. Classroom. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's never. And Training Magazine has shown year after year after year, at best, online learning is 30% of all learning going on. That's the best it's ever been. Yep. Yeah. And it, it ever will be, because again, you know, that yes. human connection that, um, yes. well, and you know, so interesting, let me go here for a second. You can still be connected um, through technology, right? Yes. Like, so yes. we can still train and mentor and coach each other through technology. Yes. And I think that's also going to continue to evolve. Um, and our skills as leaders need to adapt to be able to use these different types of, of methods, correct? Yes. And to, and to use them appropriately as a supplement to, but not as a replacement for right. personal contact. Right, right. So Bruce, before we close off, I'd love to hear um, maybe some of the biggest uh, nonverbal cues that would help people connect and understand uh, the the message that the person they're speaking to is emitting? Are there maybe two or three in the top? Yeah. What, what I can, maybe? I can, I can, I can tell you that there are times I'm coaching individuals and I have to coach them to get ready for an intense conversation. And one of the things I say to them is when you ask a tough question, I need for you to maintain eye contact with the person to whom you're asking the question and watch to see if they maintain eye contact with you when they answer. Okay. If they do not, you must investigate. It doesn't mean they're lying. Don't, 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 don't take that. But you have to investigate what caused them to look away. Another tip that I give is there are four key indicators when someone is not in agreement with what you're saying. What are they? Number one, they attack what you've said. Well, that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Right. That means they're now emotional and you must now ask questions about how they're feeling. Mm. Another one is to alter your information. Well, I, I, I heard what you said, but really in today's world, that's no longer valid. Mm. They just altered what you said. Right. Another one is 
defend their own perspective. You say X and they go, no, 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 you don't understand. It happened because of this and because of this and I had no choice. Right. And the fourth one is ignore. It's where they go, well, I just disagree. Whenever you get any of those four responses, that person is operating in emotion. And as my English teacher taught me in university back in the 1970s, you cannot combat emotion with logic. Right, right. <laughs> you have to go digging for the source of the emotion. Right. And so those are the nonverbal cues is to is to listen yes. for the tone and how they That's it. Okay. Yes. And, and if somebody's not looking you in the eye, how do mm-hmm. you like I mean, I wouldn't come out and say, Bruce, you're not looking at me in the eye. What's going What's going on? How do you safely yeah. say to the person or engage in that conversation to dig deeper without being um, too judgy? You say, tell me what just went through your mind. Mm, okay. What's going on in your mind right now? Right. Yeah. And, and that's pretty safe. Pause. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's fantastic. Because your first digging question, let's say over the course of time, Imagine it like hills and valleys. The conversation will go through hills and valleys where we'll be deep sometimes, we'll be back on the hill, we'll go deep. Each new time, each time you go deep, you have to start out with a question that gives them a chance to give you an easy answer. Right. Yeah. Then you go digging deeper. Right. Right. That's great. Okay. I'm going to use that. I am going to use that. Hills and valleys. Hills and valleys. So, Bruce, where can our listeners? find you, find more information about what you're offering and, um, and just connect with you. Where can they go? All right. We have our website, trinityadvancedleadership.com. You'll find some videos there, some recommended books, and some of the, the courses that we offer. LinkedIn, you can find at Bruce Mansion, and also our Facebook page, Bruce Mansion. Perfect. Well, I would encourage... Uh, all of you to go and connect with Bruce. Um, I know, Bruce, you've had a lasting impact on how I show up, my presence, um, how I've built relationships. Uh, I remember so much of the great advice that you shared with me um, when you did my disc profile so many years ago. <laughs> so yes. it's it's really been uh, it's been an honor to have you on the show and hear oh, how you. things have evolved for you. And I, I, you know, I took so much away from our conversation today. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. All right. Well, uh, thanks to all the listeners out there as well. And we will see you on the next episode. Bye for now. Interested in hearing more about PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, about different elements of PWE. And it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynswara.com.